and welcome to Meet Me in the Middle, the podcast that talks about middle ground in the world that we live in. Happy New Year. I am Jenny Omani. Happy New Year. I'm Annika Buckle. You know what the nicest New Year's present that you could give um, two of your favorite podcasters is? It's a five-star review on the platform of your choice. It would also be a nice little comment in the comments of the review of your platform of choice. So thank you in advance for the wonderful New Year's gift that you're going to give us. Okay. Um, Happy New Year. We both have ADHD <laughs> and we're going to talk about it. I can't think of a better intro than just like jumping in. Here it is. Here, Here we are. Is. Um, so we do both have ADHD, which probably isn't like actually that surprising, but um, it's very new for us. It's not. We've had, this has been our whole lives, but it's newly uh, like diagnosed and official and <laughs> yeah. agreed upon by the medical community. On a, on our medical <laughs> charts, on our medical histories. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, our, it's, it's like there. It's no, yeah. It's uh, more than just our lived experiences at this point. It actually has some sort of validity within the context of the medical system. Um, but we thought, similar to how we did that episode where we talked about my daughter's autism diagnosis, kind of, it's almost serves as like a little, I don't know, verbal journal in a way of this whole process. Because as I think everybody who doesn't live under a rock and probably those who do live under a rock. <laughs> and if you do bless you, cause tuning out the world is just a gift, but there's just so many people getting diagnosed with ADHD right now. And there's so much, um, in terms of opinions and, um, <laughs> experiences that people are having. And we thought we would just sort of pop on here and talk about what our experiences have been right at the beginning of this and i'm sure our experiences are going to shift a lot as time goes on but this is where we are like within the first sort of months of getting official Chunk diagnoses. Of, chunks of time yeah good and time. i think um the what i kind of love about this is like we our platform here we use for a variety of different middle grounds and sometimes that's you know looking at both sides of an evidence-based question and sometimes it's sharing our experience and i think you know as we talked about in our last episode like the things that we talk about when we share really personal stories from our lives like this are literally just that there are experiences there are stories this is not a blanket mm -hmm. um yeah. piece of advice for you or you know, we're not, we're in no means telling you what to do <laughs> or, no. you know, even we don't even really know what to do ourselves most of the time. Let's no, get real. We're it. <laughs> that's a, like, that's a, that's actually our superpower is just figuring shit just out as we go. Figuring it out as we go. <laughs> uh, throw the spaghetti to the wall and whatever sticks is going to be the thing. So um, yeah, just a reminder that like we are human beings having a very human experience. And when we do topics like this, it's just a very, our very personal experience that we're sharing. So take what is useful to you out of that and um, don't if it's not. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. And none of this is medical advice because we are, we can't provide medical advice. We do not nope. have the ability, we're, knowledge, skills. We can't we're just two white girls with a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. No one here provides any diagnostics, just opinions and experiences. <laughs> um. So, yeah, Jenny, let's kind of piggyback on a little bit what um, you were just talking about. You know, I know... 
I have much like you seen a lot of the discourse of like everybody has ADHD <sighs> nowadays. Yeah, totally. Um, you know, and a lot of that conversation comes around medication. We're not going to talk about that in this moment. We're just going to talk about, you know, why this is really prevalent. And it's actually really interesting because before I kind of get into some of the um you know, what the quote unquote, what the numbers say. Um, it was, I had a very, I had my follow-up appointment with my primary care um, practitioner yesterday. I am very lucky that I have a primary care practitioner. Um, she is a nurse practitioner actually. So I get really, really long, thorough appointments. And I'm so grateful for that. If you are somebody who doesn't have a family doctor, but might have the opportunity to have access to a nurse practitioner, I cannot recommend enough that that is a very, very, has been an incredibly positive experience for me personally. But one of the things that she said when we were talking about it is, you know, most of the people that I see through here um, are women in their 40s and they're coming through and they're saying, wow, I just didn't realize. I just didn't know. I just thought I was lazy. I just thought I was depressed. I just thought I was just needed to get my shit together. That was me. That was me for the longest time. I just felt like I just needed, I just have to get my shit together. Um, I read a very interesting quote about a month ago that said, if you were just lazy, you'd be having fun right now. <laughs> Oh, yeah. It's just like, well, I am certainly not having fun not doing no. the things I know I need to do. So um, if that is an experience that you've had, you're not alone. <laughs> um, but let's talk a little bit for a minute about why we're seeing this. And I think there's a few um, things that I, that I want to um, touch on. Um, the first is that we saw um, in 2013. So I'll just give a little bit of history. Um, as a reminder, we've touched on this before, but if you haven't caught our episodes, um, the DSM is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. It's kind of like the the Bible of the brain. The psychiatry <laughs> brain Bible. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so the ADHD label that we kind of know and use today first appeared in the 1987, the DSM-3. Um, and that was the first time that we saw both inattention and hyperactivity domains kind of coming into one diagnosis. So I think what we saw previous in, you know, the 1968 DSM, the 1980 DSMs was this, you know, attention deficit disorder, this idea that it's this very, you know, kind of outward, hyperactive, bouncing off the walls kind of experience where what we recognize and then further in the DSM four and then five. So five is the 2013 where we're going to see a bunch of changes. I'll talk about that in a minute. But what we see the DSM four is now we start to divide that diagnosis into subtypes being predominantly inattentive, predominantly hyperactive impulsive, and then a combined type. Um, and I think one of the reasons that quote unquote, we see so many more people diagnosed with it now is that in 2013, the DSM five, we saw this massive broadening of who gets to be qualified, quote unquote, with ADHD. A big piece of that is that you previously could not be diagnosed both with autism spectrum disorder and ADHD. Um, so in 2013, that change happened at 
we know there is scientifically, statistically, a very high comorbidity between ADHD and autism spectrum disorder. So with this change, all of a sudden, you know, we've talked about this before, right? Why did the number increase? Well, the number increased because the way that we diagnosed it increased. So all of the yeah, same people who had it before that, yeah. <laughs> still have it. We just get to say they have it now instead of pretending mm -hmm. that they don't. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, so that's a big one. But a few of the other big changes in the DSM-5 in 2013 um, was that previously you had to ha be less under seven when you first had symptoms onset, where now that has been removed. So where previously, if I had of, you know, let's say in 2012, gone to my doctor and said, you know, these are the things I think I'm experiencing, they would have said, well, you haven't been experiencing them your whole life, so it doesn't count. <laughs> um, which, as I get into my own personal experience in a little bit, uh, is very interesting. But I think the big uh, conversation is what we're seeing now is there is not just changing criteria, um, but we also are seeing, because we have this increased awareness, we have an increased prevalence because previously um, lower communities that have been typically overlooked, women, minorities, people of color, um, who previously may have been diagnosed with something else altogether or nothing whatsoever, um, you know, these minoritized populations now have the opportunity to be diagnosed in a way that they wouldn't have been before. So once we saw that 2013 increased focus on inattention, um, there was a significant increase in ADHD diagnosis among females. And the reason for that is because as my uh, nurse practitioner said to me yesterday, what we typically see with women is the inattentive form of ADHD rather than the hyperactive. So if you're looking for hyperactivity and you don't see it, then you don't see a problem. You just see somebody who maybe is struggling to focus. I got a lot of like, oh, she's a dreamer. She's got her head in the clouds. She's got such a wild imagination um, rather than, you know, somebody who maybe needs actually a lifeline. <laughs> and you know, like, and this is very much my personal theory that is not substantiated by literally anything, but I personally think that if we can agree, and I think generally speaking, most people in the field would agree that generational trauma exists, right? Like horrible mm -hmm. experiences that happen can literally be passed down through the generations. Mm -hmm. But vo both via, you know, genetics yeah. and via lived experience. Yeah. And I think, I think that if we look at women since the dawn of time, women have not up until very recently and not even all over the world, even today, but westernized cultures now, women have a lot more autonomy, a lot more ability to, you know, vote, own properties get an advanced education but have orgasms <laughs> stop it we can't talk about that um but historically women had the job was to have a run a household and have kids and having advantageous marriages was important like the presentation of the woman was like you need to look the best way possible so that we can marry you off in the most ad advantageous way for our family so that you can like have kids and look after a house. 
which meant that outward appearance and mm -hmm. behavior and mannerism was mm -hmm. so important. If we look back at even when women started getting educations, wealthy Finger women hundreds of years education. ago. Well, and they were, it wasn't real education. It was like needlework, singing, right. music, playing instruments. Things that right? would make you, you know, a more cultured wife. Yeah. And more, right? a better host, a better. Yeah, yeah exactly. It wasn't about, homemaker. it was all about this outward behavior. Mm -hmm. Men have always had more leeway in how they behave outwardly. There's been a lot more limitations in how women can behave in a way that is deemed socially acceptable. So it's really not surprising that hundreds and hundreds, thousands of years of this has created um, diseases, disorders, presentations of things that look very different in men than women, mm -hmm. right? Look at heart attack criteria. Mm -hmm. Elephant sitting on your chest, um, radiating pain through your left side, all of these things that are cardinals of heart attack are almost exclusively for men. Right. And then I don't know the timeline, but then we started being like, oh, women have indigestion, blah, blah, blah. Like, it's like we didn't even factor in the presentation of women's heart attacks. Right. Until right. more recently. So right. it's really not that surprising <laughs> that something less sort of like life threatening. Right. Right. Take even longer for us to get to the place where we're recognizing presentations different. Mm -hmm. And this is exactly why so many boys would be what you when you think of ADHD chances are your first thought is like a little boy who's like bouncing all over the place and can't sit still there's not a lot of little girls in a num if you're playing a numbers game you're gonna see more little boys bouncing around and being more active than you are little girls just in general like that's mm -hmm. just kind of just like mannerisms and whatnot that visible image of ADHD mm -hmm. was a boy and yeah. that's what the whole criteria was based on. And it's a bit better now, but it's not great for catching no. girls and no. women. Well, and and actually from, um, and I'll link this article in the show notes. It was a really, really good, simple, but very thorough overview. Um, you know, there's real discrepancies related to gender and also to race. So mm -hmm. between 2004 and 2006, black students were more likely than their white counterparts to have ADHD symptoms, 12% versus 7%, but were less likely to have received a diagnosis, 8% versus 15%. So, you know, yeah. we see this trend again. I mean, I, this is like everything else, right? Well, this who's is... got access if you mm -hmm. get to get a diagnosis, you have to have access to the healthcare system. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, that, that all that isn't already prejudiced against you. Right. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But even <laughs> just access in general, like you have to be able to get there. You have to have a, a parent who can take you to an appointment. You have to have teachers who, you know, flag parents about behaviors. You have to have yeah. parents that aren't working several jobs and are around to physically see, you know, how their kids are coping. Yep. Right? Yeah. Like well, it, it, and it's, systemically, it's really challenging. And this is just it, right? You know, systemically, again, in this same review, studies find clinicians tend to be far more responsive, unsurprisingly, to white parents who solicit an ADHD diagnosis mm -hmm. compared to BIPOC parents. Mm -hmm. um, further, BIPOC kids with ADHD are disproportionately more likely to be misdiagnosed with ODD um, or oh, clinical depression. So, oh, that's interesting. 
Right. And this is, I think, something else, you know, we've had this conversation offline. Obviously, Jenny and I have had a lot of conversations about this. Yeah. Spoiler, spoiler alert, we have a lot of offline conversations. <laughs> Um, but this is something else that, you know, my practitioner was saying to me yesterday is what often for women, we internalize our inability to have this outward presentation, you know, to exactly what you were saying, Jenny, that looks perfect, like it's supposed to. Mm -hmm. So we use all of our energy to create this, you know, perfect looking outside image. And then we internalize all of the rest of that heavy mental load mm -hmm. that we have to carry when we don't perform in the same way, or we require 10 times more safeguards in place to remember to make that appointment or call that doctor. And this mm -hmm. is, again, something else that she said that I found so funny. She said, you know, a lot of times I don't see it because what I see is a patient in front of me who you know, books an appointment and comes to their appointment on time. What I don't see is that they had to write seven reminders and have, I'm like, oh, you mean like it has to go in my calendar on my phone. It also has to go as an alert in my phone and it has to go in my paper planner. Right. After I've had it on my to-do list to right. book the appointment for, <laughs> for six months. And it just feels like it's not the right time. Right. It's not the right time to call for that. But you know what? I'll, I'll right get to that. that. I'll get to that two yeah. minute task in six months. Yeah. <laughs> so for you, like if you reflect back, I guess this is a two-part question I have for you. If you reflect back in hindsight, when do you think that you first, like looking at baby Annika, little Annika, <laughs> when did little Annika first ha exhibit ADHD symptoms? P.S. ADD is old terminology. So attention mm -hmm. deficit yeah, disorder has been absorbed by attention hyperactive deficit disorder. So there is no ADD. Yes. But ADD yeah. is like the version of inattentive ADHD. Yes. But now yeah. they've just, you can have inattentive ADHD, um, hyperactive ADHD, or mixed type. Okay? Yeah. And so I, that's a clear. really important yeah. distinction. That was something else that happened between the DSM-3 and the DSM-4. And so again, why do we see a broadening of the, you know, number of people who get diagnosed? <laughs> two different diagnoses into one. I know. It's so funny. It's all stats, right? It's all like how statistics are presented. Yeah. So if we look back at baby Annika, when did baby Annika first display symptoms of what we would now call ADHD? And then when did adult Annika <laughs> figure out maybe what was going on? <laughs> yeah. So um, it's really interesting because I was very, I wasn't ever the kind of hyperactive kid that couldn't sit still in class, but every single every single report card. I am not exaggerating when I say every single report card, like you can pull the box down from my mom's closet and flip through every single one of them. Every single report card from grades one through seven said, Annika needs to stop distracting other students when she's finished her work. So my system was, I'm going to finish my work. I'm going to finish it as quickly as I can, because I know once I'm done that, then I can be done and I can be free to talk to everyone else. Only mm -hmm. everyone else is still working on their shit. Yeah. And so that shows up as like, Annika's too social, but she's also very smart. Right. And again, this is like, oh, she's getting all her work done. She's finished early. She can't possibly have ADD. She could never have time management problems if she's finishing the work. Right. right. A hundred percent. And um, what was really interesting was um, I was very lucky as a part of my process. And I'm sure we'll dig into this in a little bit more detail in a couple of minutes. But I was um, referred to uh, 
doctor who via a clinic who specializes in um, diagnosing ADHD with comorbidities. So I have existing clinical depression. Um, And so this is something else that kind of layers on top of like, you couldn't previously have both autism and ADHD. It's like, well, you're don't, you don't have ADD. You're just depressed. I mean, maybe, probably, I Mm -hmm. definitely seem to have both, but this idea that these two things can live at the same time. But in talking with her, one of the things that she said as she was listening to me, you know, I said, oh, and then I got to university and, you know, the wheels kind of fell off and, you know, I got really bad marks and I found it very hard to focus and I missed a lot of deadlines and I had to, you know, late drop courses. And um, she said, oh, so your ADHD really showed up for you in university. And I was like, oh my God, I always, I'm going to cry. But like, I just told myself the story that I was like, I just party too hard and I was lazy and you know, I just didn't work hard enough at it. And to realize that I just actually needed help that I didn't get mm-hmm. just made me feel really validated. Like maybe I'm not stupid. <laughs> and yeah. that was a really big moment for me to realize that in my history, if I had have had this support, I don't, who knows where I would be right now. Um, it's so awesome that you're being so vulnerable about that because I do think that, and we know that there's a lot of, um, women who were, I don't want to say misdiagnosed because it could be both, but a lot of women who were given diagnoses of anxiety or depression. And now it might've actually all just been stemming from ADHD in the sense that the, there's a lot of anxiety and anxious feelings that Mm -hmm. come from inability to start projects, inability to finish projects. Am I depressed because I can't finish any projects or can I not finish any projects because I'm depressed or are both of these things happening? Are you depressed because your self-worth has been chipped away at over your entire life because you just thought you were a certain, because you think you're lazy or you think you're this, that, or the other thing. So I think it's just, it's really, and it makes it challenging to do. I don't, and I'm not criticizing anybody who gives diagnoses in this area because it's a system that's really set up to not allow for enough time to give a really yeah. accurate diagnose totally. and diagnosis. Um, and I think that's like a, a real issue with our primary care system. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so, yeah. okay. So you got to so university then, and, and, and yeah. it, was, no, it was rough. <laughs> <laughs> not great. My motto is C's get degrees and they do. Nobody's ever oh, asked me my GPA. Motto. <laughs> um, But honestly, like I said, I just told myself the story like, and to be fair, I was definitely taking advantage of my newfound freedom and developing my adult sense of Developmentally normal. Totally. For sure. For sure. I learned about alcohol in all of the wrong ways very quickly to make up for all of the times I didn't party in high school. But um, it really, honestly, Jenny, it wasn't until you and I started having some of the conversations that we were having um, when I looked over the, the diagnosis chart and went, (laughs) whoa, shit. Mm -hmm. I wonder if this explains a lot of things about me. So really, I have you to thank in the biggest way for helping me realize that this was something I could shine a light on. So let's lead that into like, what about you? Same two part question. You know, when do you see like, when did this show up for little baby Jenny? And then, you know, what did this look like for you? When did the when did the light bulb turn on as an adult? (laughs) So for me, I, 
was my report card comments were always that I was chatty. Um, and I think it's important that to just highlight report card comments are actually really important mm-hmm. and they're cryptic. They weren't cryptic yeah. when we were kids. Teachers literally no. said that I talked too much. <laughs> yeah. Right. Whereas now is a distraction to have in class. Yeah. You would never say that now. And I think it's really important to just take a minute because this is something the psychologist that did my daughter's diagnosis said is she said report cards are a nightmare now because Hmm. teachers are not allowed to just say they it's cryptic. It'll say like, um, Billy's learning how to keep his hands to himself. She's like, (laughs) so Billy's parents are like, oh good. He's learning. Like he's working. And it's like, that means Billy absolutely cannot keep his hands to himself. (laughs) And right. And I think that that does not do a service to anybody when you're like beating around the bush, mm-hmm. especially in writing, because there's no intonation. There's no like mm-hmm. nothing to like go off of. So anyways, my report card comments were also not cryptic like they are today, <laughs> but it was that I talked too much. Um, a lot of comments about interrupting, mm-hmm. which yeah. is actually part of the criteria for ADHD are like super interrupty kids. That was, well, and even as an adult, like, you know, as we mm. talked about, as I'm filling out, you know, the checkbox, I'm like, wait a minute, the fact that I'm constantly trying to finish people's sentences for them, mm. which so I do that's all the fucking time. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. And part of the thing is I know what someone's going to say before they've said it. Even if they don't know what they're going to say, like, I know what you're going to say. And then it just becomes like, okay, just say it. Just say it. I know what you're going to say. So it's hard to listen. Like I've really had to coach yes. myself to not do that. Mm-hmm. To not be like two steps ahead of somebody in every conversation. I t- That's totally how I feel a lot of the time. Yeah, totally. Because um, it's honestly frustrating to be ahead of a conversation. It's yeah. actually really distracting. Because <laughs> yeah. you're like, we've already talked. We've I we in my head we've been here already. I already know what you're gonna say. Can we move on to the next? I know, thing right? Now? Just just stand there and look at me because I know. Um, <laughs> and I think for me, I remember listening to a podcast a few years ago, and it was talking about a woman's experience with like late diagnosis with ADHD, and I was like, oh, huh, hmm. and it just it really resonated, but I tabled mm-hmm. it. And then when we started everything with my daughter, I just was like, I started looking into ADHD more in kids and then realized there was a massive discrepancy with the diagnostic criteria, the screening criteria, and then Mm. who actually has ADHD and was like, oh, this fits. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, it just made sense for me. And then I was like, Annika is probably the same as me and we're probably (laughs) friends for a reason. And this means that Annika probably has ADHD too. (laughs) Surprise! You were right. It's a process though. And I think this is a good thing to sort of talk about. So when people say, and I do understand how it can appear (laughs) like everybody's getting an ADHD diagnosis right now. I get that. I think it's that uh, there were a lot of missed people like us. Mm -hmm. And now there's awareness about like my like my practitioner said mostly at this point women in their 40s and she actually yeah, credited she's kids like, that are old enough to get diagnosed right well and, and actually she said i she's like as you know i know social media is a double-edged sword she said but the increased awareness due mm-hmm. to the conversations that are happening on social media mm-hmm. are part of the reason that all of a sudden women are able to look and say hey wait a minute actually that is me that does fit mm-hmm. my experience 
Well, and like whoever diagnoses your kid, the first thing they say is, so we, what we think about it, what we, we believe that ADHD is a dopamine deficiency and we know it's genetic. So when you know something's genetic and you are the biological parent <laughs> of your kid, there is a 50% chance come it came from, from somewhere. your of the family. Right. Right. And, and that I doesn't agree. necessarily mean if you have a neurodivergent child, oh, you're neurodivergent yourself, or even that you're, you know, the father of your child or the mother of your child is either. Right. But, and I know you and I have joked about this before, but like, oh, you're like your grandpa that was obsessed with like, knew everything about model trains and had all of the <laughs> manuals for like a bunch of cars he didn't own. Like, oh, that's very cool. Totally normal behavior. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, your cousin who like works on, um, like massive projects with Bill Gates, neurotypical, <laughs> neurotypical. Pretty much everyone in the tech industry, I think, and not like, to generalize, but not to generalize, but anybody who's like really smart in a niche area probably has a is probably not totally neurotypical. Like there's, and I think it's also important that like neurodivergence diversity is important mm -hmm. for like survival of a species. <laughs> But what happened along the, the way is someone decided what normal was, right? right? And made a definition. And then anything that didn't fall in that became abnormal or atypical or whatever. So we're kind of working within the box that, you know, the world society is and society has created. And I'm not saying that it's wrong because our experience is not reflective of, like, when I tell people what my system is to sit down and do a task that I don't want to do. <laughs> Every single one of them, like, is floored right. at the mental gymnastics that must take place. Oh, 100%. And every time I found a new hack, it was like, oh, my God, I figured it out. I had to organize my bookshelf, and I found a playlist full of every song I used to listen to when I went out to the club in 2002, mm -hmm. and I put it on maximum in my headphones, and I drank a pot of coffee, and I finally organized one bookshelf yeah right or when you like book that doctor's appointment that's been on your to-do list for five months you're like i did it oh my god i deserve a little treat and I, I yeah so i appreciate that there's more people it seems like everybody's getting a diagnosis and to your point earlier i think that has to do with diagnostic criteria is always a big part of it i think it's awareness and i think yeah, the double-edged sword of social media. Are there people self-diagnosing? Sure, but they don't actually count right. as diagnoses. <laughs> it's not a self-reported database. Right, right. So yeah. it now, does that feed into it seems like everybody's getting has ADHD now? Yes, of course it does. But that doesn't mean they have ADHD just because right. they say that they do. It's also well, a I euphemism. Used I People used to think like, oh, I'm so ADHD. Yeah, yeah. Totally. Oh, that's just my ADD brain. I can't, you know. Yeah, yeah. Not even realizing, right? It's it. To your point, it's like shorthand for I wasn't paying attention. Yeah, <laughs> I also think that, uh, especially with women, a lot of the women that are vocal about being diagnosed, um, in you know, in the middle of their lives, uh, a lot of these, the ADH brain lends itself to wanting to be a your own boss be in control of your schedule <laughs> mm -hmm. um and highly often in highly creative environments mm -hmm. so when you see something like the field of influencers or social right. media content creators mo th there is a 
That is the perfect job for someone with ADHD. Right. Because they can make their own rules, do all the things, and they are going to be highly creative within their own little world and produce really excellent content that other people want to consume. So, and then when they have big audiences, because they are the perfect specimen, like ADHD lens to this, that sort of field so perfectly. Then when they say like, oh, hey, I have ADHD, anybody that knows much about ADHD is like, well, no shit, all these women that are like (laughs) DIY content creators and are pounding out all of these projects. Like, of course they fucking have ADHD. No normal brain could paint the entire exterior of their house themselves in a weekend. That's not normal. You know what I mean? Like, I think you see this sort of extreme side of it that's very visible, that has a lot of, you know, large follower count, all this stuff. So it does amplify because they're speaking to a larger audience. Well, right. And it's like, okay, let's say 10% of influencers, you know, talk about their ADHD. You know, that yeah. doesn't mean that 10% of the rest of the population has it. I just made those numbers up. I no, no, but it's true. Like, and but, it's such right? a good point, it's, right? Yeah. Yeah. You're, you're, it's just a highly visible group talking mm-hmm. about it. And that doesn't mm-hmm. necessarily mean it's reflective of numbers in the general population. No. Well, yeah. and I mean, this is the other thing, and this is something else that this article talks a lot about is w- women have, you know, restlessness, you know, they get diagnosed with anxiety, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. But if, uh, you know, a guy goes into the doctor with restlessness, they're going to think ADHD, right? It's it's just the way that it has typically worked, right? Mm-hmm. And I think actually anytime, at least here, I can't speak everywhere else, but at least in I I would assume British Columbia. I feel like a lot of these protocols are provincial. Um, but you get screened for anxiety and ADHD. Yeah. So um, there is screening for both because of the heavy overlap. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way it works, actually, maybe we can talk about that for a minute. Yeah. So for kids right now, I think there's the biggest discrepancy in terms of capturing um the inattentive girls uh, exists right now for kids because of how the forms and the criteria work. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's a bit easier in adults because you're talking about your experience from your own voice. You don't need somebody else saying, I don't see this show up. Yeah. For them. Yeah. It's your yeah. own experience. It's not um, somebody else doesn't do it. So with kids, it's called a snap form. One is two, two forms. One, the parent does one the teacher does. And in order for it, and it asks questions like, can they sit still? Can they, like, are they overly chatty? They're, I can't remember. There's just like a whole bunch of questions. You fill it out as a parent. The teacher fills it out. And then that goes to your doctor. And initially with my daughter, we got two different kids on those pieces of paper. <laughs> the kid at home was the, yeah. the right column because she was showing high signs at home. But at school, it wasn't reflected at all. I talked, brought those to our family doctor. Our family doctor's like, this is just doesn't meet criteria for ADHD. She physically examined my kid. My kid's been going into her for years. She's like, just doesn't have ADHD. Now, that's just because my kid knows how to behave at a doctor's office. <laughs> and just exactly to your point, why so many women have spent so many years yeah. not having a diagnosis. Because I I know how to sit still in a meeting if I have to sit she still in sit a meeting. She can sit still for 15 minutes maximum. Right. That's how long a doctor's appointment is. It's not a long time. <laughs> right. But as an adult, it's all self-reported. And you do mm-hmm. have to reflect back to your childhood and sort of fill in the gaps. But 
going back to the, the, the kid version, you have to have this in both domains to meet criteria. So the symptoms have to appear in school and at home. Now, when those same forms uh, were brought in to the pediatrician, the pediatrician, the way that their billing works is we had like almost a one hour Zoom appointment without my child with, where she got a really thorough history, like all the things, like mm-hmm. how many weeks pregnant were you when the baby right. was born? What was and the like, birth like? Do I, yeah, she, what was yeah. totally and yeah. stuff where you're like, fuck, I don't remember. Like that sort of thing. Right. Yeah. And, um, so really thorough history. So she got a lot of, a lot more context than my family doctor would have had. I think the assumption is the family doctor has the context, but of course they don't. They're seeing right. like, yeah, of course they don't. Right. Well, and, and like I a mean, mind of like steel to remember your hundreds of patients and every point, life event. <laughs> right. Just because you, somebody has been seeing your child for years doesn't mean they really know all the rest of those detailed contexts that show up. My doctor doesn't remember whether I had vaginal deliveries or (laughs) C-section and nor should she. Should they? It's fine. Yeah. Right? Like, but anyways, the pediatrician gets a lot more um, time to get information. But then what she said, based on this hour-long appointment prior to seeing us in person, was she said, you know, she does not meet diagnostic criteria based on the diagnostic criteria we have right now. Right. But I think it's worth treating her for ADHD. So, but she had to make a judgment call. Right. Now, interestingly enough, when we did our psych ed and our autism assessment, and she spent an entire day with a psychologist, she got a definitive ADHD diagnosis because right. that psychologist spent an entire day doing boring shit with that kid. <laughs> right. Right. But she could only maintain her composure and for so long. I also did not prep or prime her for it. Mm-hmm. I wanted her to like not know what to expect and tell someone as someone with a PhD sat right. with her for an extended period of time. Did she get a conclusive ADHD diagnosis? Because even with the pediatrician, she would not have had a diagnosis. She would have been on the meds. Yeah. But she wouldn't have a diagnosis because right. she did not meet the criteria for it. Yeah. Well, and again, to your point, this is what's so interesting being an adult going through this process is it's literally just you looking at and reflecting on, you know, this list of things that may or may not feel relevant to you, but you know, how much and how often, and I know, Jenny, we were kind of going through the checklist at the same time. And it's really funny. First of all, the first di- ch- part of the criteria should be how long did it take you to fill this fucking form out? <laughs> how long did it take you to open the attachment with the form? Yeah. Fill it out. Yeah. yeah. And then two, the other thing that's really tricky and I had to really stop myself as I was going through is a lot of the questions ask things that on the surface I would answer one way. But if I stop and look mm, at the systems yeah. I've created in place, I actually would answer it another way. Like, Am I late to meetings? Well, no, because I have a 56 checklist point to get to a meeting on time, not because I can just show up to a meeting on time without 70 guardrails in place, right? So. Oh, yeah. No, I know. So many of the questions were actually genuinely very hard to answer because Mm -hmm. my gut instinct was like, no. And I remember asking Dave, I'm like, hey, how do you remember you have an appointment? He's like, well, it's just in my Outlook calendar. I was like, right. One place? It's in one place and you do it? What? Is there in paper and electronically at least three places? He's like, I had no idea what he's talking about. None. Right. 
Right. So I think it's just really important. It's hard as an adult even to, you have to really stop and be like, without any systems. Mm -hmm. And then you have to realize what a system is because a lot (laughs) of us made these systems without knowing it was a system. We just thought it was how you did things. Like a system to get out the door in the morning for a neurotypical person is they just like eat breakfast and like get dressed and like, I don't go. They don't need a checklist to make sure that they didn't forget something. Right. Right. Totally. Well, and I mean, for the longest time, one of the things that I noticed about, you know, when I had, you know, kind of a quote unquote typical office job is I really struggled with like communication stuff. Like Mm. to this day, emails are where things go to die in my life. Please send me a text message. If you want me to (laughs) never reply, please email me. Oh, and if you um, want me to never reply, CC me. Because in yeah. my mind, CC just means FYI. It does not mean you CC need to respond CC immediately to goes into a folder and out of my inbox yeah. um, with zero action by me. And, you know, at, again, at the time, I just felt like, oh, God, I'm just so bad at this. And I just yeah. can't get my shit together. And yeah. why am I so bad with time management? Um, you know, where the reality is that's just something that my brain is not capable of doing because I no. have to have something written down in an alert immediately or it will not happen. And even if somebody, you know, I was preparing something for, I'm on our school's parent advisory committee. I had, um, a, you know, a document I had to create for an event that's coming up. I was reminded about it on Monday. I was like, oh, e- immediately replied to the text. Yeah, absolutely. Like I'll send it to you when I get home. Didn't put a reminder in my phone. Did you so- flag it as unread? That's my. Th- that's a- I'm like, I gotta make this unread, or I'll never. Otherwise, it, it doesn't yeah. exist. Yeah, no, and oh yeah, okay, I'll do it when I get home. Forgot to flag it as unread. Didn't <gasps> put it in my calendar. <gasps> She had to follow up with me again yesterday and was like, hey, remember that thing you said you'd send me on Monday and now it's Thursday? <laughs> and you were because like, no, I didn't remember. I actually I do don't now remember, so but I'm shame about that. so sorry and I will immediately get that to you. And I sent everything and it was like all very thorough. She's like, oh, wow, you're so efficient. I'm like, <laughs> you're like, I hyperfixated oh with the panic attack I was having <laughs> about not doing this and what? nothing makes me get shit done like last minute ever. You're welcome. <laughs> I remember listening to one of Jen Sincero books like a while ago when I was like very into personal development. development. And, but one of the things she said I loved, she was like, if you are a procrastinator, stop freaking out about it and just accept the fact that you are not going to start till the day before. (laughs) And I actually really did love that. It's like, look, if you are never going to do something till the day before, then stop worrying about it and just do it the day before. Right. Then don't start She's stressing like, out block three days off before. Time the day before and do it. I was like, it, it, that was a bit of a light bulb moment for me. That's like, if you're lazy, you'd be having fun right now. Right. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. Oh shit. Okay. Things are, things don't have to be that way. Okay. So I put in my Instagram stories. I've been talking more and more about um, content like this, about neurodiversity, um, neurodivergence, um, and especially how much of the population is being missed. Mm-hmm. And I really think that's a disservice to the individuals. And honestly, if you want to take feelings and emotions out of it, it's a disservice to society at large. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a local private school here that specializes in teaching kids with learning disabilities it's called Fraser Academy. And I have a friend whose daughter goes there. She has dyslexia. And I can't remember the exact statistic, but for Fraser Academy, 98% of the kids go on to do post-secondary. Um, a large percentage of the kids at school have dyslexia or some other form of learning. They have to have a learning disability of some form to attend the, the school. 
but the statistic for the amount of kids with dyslexia that go to on to post-secondary is like really low. It's like mm, under 40%, mm, but 98% from the one school Wow. because they're teaching them differently. Right. And these kids have confidence. And what she and I were talking about is those kids are all going to have better jobs, <laughs> most likely because they've <laughs> gone to post-secondary. You can absolutely make good money and have a great job if you don't go to post-secondary. That's not what I'm saying. But statistically speaking, yeah. these kids are going to be with it, removing all emotions and everything. They're going to pay more taxes. <laughs> yeah. Look, if you don't just want people to feel better. <laughs> You then know that what about the economy? Like, well, this is the thing. That's why I feel like we're just missing these kids. And we're more importantly, we are missing self-esteem. We're missing a lot of other things. But yes. And this is the other thing. You know, when you have, um, in particular, girls and women with ADHD that is undiagnosed, mm -hmm. they are three times more likely to use or become dependent on nicotine and marijuana. They're... Mm -hmm. They have far higher rates of self-harm, substance abuse, suicide. Um, you know, they are 3.5 times more at risk of developing an eating disorder. You really have a lot of these knock-on effects of things that mm -hmm. we don't necessarily think, like, how could an eating disorder have anything to do with ADHD? But it really has to do with self-esteem and control and mm -hmm. this social aspect that, uh, quite frankly, has not been prioritized. This mm -hmm. is the other thing that we see is boys are less likely to have social disruptions from ADHD than girls are because girls are far more likely to struggle to make and maintain friendships. And I think once again, removing all emotion and all of that shit aside, those things are expensive. Mm -hmm. Treating eating disorders is expensive. Mental health is expensive, right? So if you really just want to look at it from like a financial lens it makes so much sense to properly diagnose and treat these mm -hmm. kids. Yeah. And if you want to look at it well, from a humanitarian lens, adults, it makes sense. And for a lot adults. And adults too, totally. Right? Um, I'm gonna well, we've decided we're gonna talk about this next week, but um we as a family, it was me, and then my husband agreed, <laughs> uh, decided to start our daughter on medication for her ADHD because that was the recommendation by the experts that we're seeing her. Um, and we're the experience has just been so phenomenal that we're actually just going to dedicate an episode to it. But um, to wrap up, I actually would love to read you a response I had in a DM, if you're cool with that. Yeah, totally. Oh, perfect. Um, so when I had posted about starting medication for my daughter, I got a ton of responses. And I was um, like wincing because I thought the wellness warriors would come out and tell me to have her meditate. Or did you know you can increase dopamine by like sweating? Like I was expecting that. Is she eating vegan? Yeah, yeah. It's probably the processed foods. Like, but I got this response, which I'm sharing with permission anonymously. It says, quote, as someone who just got diagnosed with ADHD and started medication, I cannot imagine that the, how that would have felt as a kid receiving this care in reference to my daughter. So many things could have potentially been negated for me. Anxiety, depression, eating disorders, self-harm, suicidal ideation, and the feeling always like you don't belong and the most insane internal dialogue that's about 7,993 different dialogues at once and always feeling different. I'm so happy you advocated for her and got this diagnosis. Myself and my girlfriend laughed that uh, we got so diagnosed, we got diagnosed so late in life and we both have done relatively well for ourselves despite it all. She's a medical professional. She's doing great for herself. Um, if we had been properly managed younger, we would have been able to take over the world. 
<laughs> well, and I mean, I laugh because that like this is something that you and I have like had as like our mantra. Like, we're gonna be super. We're we're gonna have super. We're gonna have superpowers. We're gonna be superhuman. Like, what are we gonna be able to accomplish? Yeah. Um, do you uh, want to talk at all about kind of what? you know, the route that you've decided to take, you know, post your diagnosis, what you're doing and what that experience has been like, I realize it's still very new. This oh, is yeah. why it's a continual conversation, but yeah, it is a continual conversation. And I think, um, I think that everybody's going to have different feelings about it. I was very on board with medication. In fact, I sought a diagnosis recognizing that I could benefit from medication. Um, because I have put all these systems in place. If you look up any um, non-pharmacological interventions for ADHD, I've literally taught them to myself since I was a little kid. Mm -hmm. The only thing that was on the list that I hadn't done was body doubling. Which, which Anna and I then we did. Like the best thing ever. Body doubling is when you sit down with somebody either in person, on Zoom, whatever, and you force yourselves to do the shitty things you don't want to do that you've been putting off. Um, and you actually it was, get it done. It was awesome. It was yeah. awesome. It was because you're just sitting there and you're like, okay, we're both doing these things. We're yeah. both in this. I know I have to like, do it. Like, <laughs> yeah, but you do it, but you do it. So that's, yeah. So for me, I went into this recognizing that I had maxed my non-pharmacological interventions. I talked to my therapist about it and who I've worked with for a while and was like, is there anything you could think of that I could add in? And she's like, literally was like, <laughs> No, no girl, there's nothing else. Um, and so I, I sought, um, medical intervention from medication. I'm day three now of taking my Vyvanse. Uh, the way that you start is low dose. Cause you can have, um, the most common side effects are like feeling like you did too many shots of espresso. Cause it's a stimulant. <laughs> so, uh, they just want you to start low, um, to make sure you don't have any side effects before you increase the dose. Part of me was like, I think we need to talk about the fact that I have three kids and I'm a nurse. Like I can pound back the caffeine. I can take well, it. I'll cut back on my caffeine. Is, I promise. But like I can handle it. <laughs> this is something really interesting that when I had my appointment with a doctor, she, she said, how do you, how do you do with coffee? I was like, oh, well, coffee's the only reason I can ever get anything done. Coffee's my life. What she said is, you know, do you... I, she said, how does it impact your sleep? I said, oh, actually I can like drink coffee and, and have a nap. And she was like, uh-huh. I was like, why is that? Like, is that a thing? She's like, well, you'll probably have to cut back on your coffee. She said, but it sounds like one of the things you're doing to self-medicate is using a stimulant, which is exactly what we would prescribe you. Like, you're, I know. You're oh, like, oh. <laughs> so I'm on my baby dose, day three of my baby dose. Um, and then I go up after two weeks. Um, I honestly don't think I need a full two weeks and I hate to be, I'm going to be a rule follower, which is really hard for me to do. Cause I don't think I actually need to be a rule follower in this particular situation, but I'm going to follow the medical advice I was given begrudgingly. And there then are sometimes up. side effects we're not thinking about, right? It's important that we, the other thing, I that... don't have a license to prescribe medication, right. so I'm not going <laughs> to um, override the person who does. Uh, it's also a controlled substance. So like if I you go through it too quickly, like they will not just give me more. Right. Because I didn't follow my the directions. So yeah. I'm going to follow my doctor's instructions. I am not going to. Yes, I'm going to begrudgingly be a rule follower. What I will say, though, is in the last three days, I have slept better than ever. 
Um, I'll talk about this more with my daughter. And that was something we noticed. Ironically, interrupted sleep is a potential or trouble sleeping is a potential side effect because it's a stimulant. If you take it too late in the day, you're going to have trouble sleeping. Um, I've slept better than ever. And I think that's because my brain's not working as hard during the day, even on the baby dose. I also, um, two things from my first day that I call, I like voice memoed Annika was like, <laughs> I don't know if this is a placebo effect or what, but the Which, first PS, thing was, I feel the same way as you. I don't care yeah. if it's a placebo effect. Oh, if I'm I feel better, I will take a placebo all day long. Sugar pills. If they work, yep. I'm here for them. Um, and the first thing, like my dogs need to go for their shots and I've like put it off. <laughs> And I just was like, I'm just going to call and book. I didn't feel any hesitation or dread. I was like, I'm just going to call and book the, the vet appointments. And of course, it took literally 90 seconds. And then it was it was done. And I was also sitting in a meeting on Zoom that morning. And I have never once been on a Zoom meeting and just sat and listened to the meeting. I'm always like working on like marking a paper or like working on so like doing like working during the meeting. Cause I've always had the ability to do two things at the same time. Yeah. Right. Which is probably an ADHD thing, but I've always been able to do two things at the same time. So I'm always doing two things. And I realized about an hour and a half into this meeting, I was like, I've just been sitting here looking at the zoom. <laughs> I haven't felt the need to go just work during the meeting. I'm just participating in this meeting. And it was just such a weird is this what it's like for other people? I was people? like, do you just know, sit people in just meeting? sit in a meeting and pay attention? Like because I can fully pay attention in a meeting and do something else at the same time. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Uh so that was really interesting for me. So what I'm curious to see, and I haven't had on Monday is my first day where I have no meetings, no, like I'm just at home working. Mm -hmm. And I'm really curious for that day to see how that goes mm -hmm. and whether I have to mental gymnastics myself to sit down and do the things I don't really feel like doing. Because mm -hmm. right now I genuinely don't have time to do any of my sit down things because I've been like um, on oh site God. for certain things. Like I've been like teaching in simulation. Like I've been not doing the stuff that's hard for me to do. Mm -hmm. So I'm curious what that looks like. Mm-hmm. What about you? Because you're, are you on your full dose now? Well, maybe. We're not sure. But okay. I am much like you. I went in, you know, looking for a diagnosis for pharmacological intervention because much like you, I felt like I had exhausted every other resource that I had. And that doesn't mean that that's the right choice for everyone, but it was the right choice for me. And yeah. I have to say, I am incredibly grateful for my ability to sit in the middle with something like this, because mm -hmm. I don't know that I would have been so comfortable to um, take a pharmacological intervention this quickly, say five years ago. Mm -hmm. So, you know, as I think much as it's important though. Yeah. Like I think in order for a diagnosis like this, I think you have to be ready for it. Yeah. Yeah. As much as like, I don't, I wish that this happened before I was, you know, almost 42 years old. I am. <laughs> it happened when it, it's happening right now for a reason. So totally. I agree. Um, you. I also, uh, have, uh, am on Vyvanse. 
um, and I also started at the 10. And it was really interesting. It's been kind of weird because it's happened kind of over the winter break, and that's a very weird time to try it's to figure weird out. Time. Like, it's like stressful. And like, yeah. it's also more relaxing, and like, there isn't as much expected of me, but there's also more expected of me. And yeah. is this, what's this going to be like in my real life? But um, I am to, I am now on, um, I have gone up three times. And um, when I met with my primary care practitioner, um, I said that I was feeling really good. And she said, well, it's a pretty small dose. She said, but you know, this might just be the boost that you needed. She said, you know, obviously we want you to be on the lowest dose that you can. Yeah, for you know, all medications. The, right. Generally, right. <laughs> yeah, to get yeah, yeah, in general. Yeah. Right. Um, but I've been playing around with kind of timing. I also was very concerned about interrupted sleep, but yeah. um, I've actually discovered I can take it a little bit later in the day because yeah. for me, one of my hardest times is that, you know, three to 8 PM where yeah. there's dinner and kids and, and I'm just like activities. Tired. And I find I'm very exhausted. sleepy during that period yeah, of time, but I haven't totally. been. Have yes. you found a difference there? Like I have not had that slump. No. Well, I've just felt like, no, like I, and I mean, I am very public with how much I fucking hate to cook dinner, but this is, I literally, I'm like, what are, she's like, what are some of your goals? I'm like, well, I'd like to be able to cook dinner without murdering my family. That would be really cool. Without, um, I would like to cook dinner without <laughs> swearing. Yeah. I just get so everything. flooded and overwhelmed. I just can't even possibly imagine trying to follow a recipe or cut ingredients yeah. to put in a thing in the right order. Um, and uh, again, you know, I'm, I'm still very new into this journey, but I have been feeling far less short tempered, far less overwhelmed. Yeah. Um, I noticed two days ago, I like went to the gym, I came home, I showered, I got out of the shower and I had a song in my head that I'd heard at the gym and I put it on and I cranked it. And I was like, when was the last time I like was like dancing in my living room, happily listening to music when I wasn't like using it as a tool to get my kid out the door. Yeah. Like, like stress about doing things. Yeah. I found I was so task focused. I'm still mm -hmm. task focused. And I think I will always be to a certain well, extent because there's a lot of tasks in my life. It's just too many tasks to not be task focused. Enjoyment but. Mm -hmm. in experiences because I'm not just thinking about what I need to do. Well, and constantly this feeling like I'm constantly overwhelmed because there's so much I have to do and I know I'm not going to get it all done and how am I going to prioritize yeah. it and how many things have I forgotten? And it's then when just you do like, get time to do it, you're like, oh, this is, doesn't feel like flooded. the right time. I can't do it. What am I supposed to start with? It's yeah. the weirdest experience when you mm -hmm. have this list of things you need to do and, and you, you sit can't down bring yourself to do and them. And you're just, you're paralyzed, you yeah. know? Yeah. The decision and so, paralysis. Yeah. So I like put on music and I unpacked our bags and I sorted the laundry. And these are all things that would have taken me days previously. Yeah. Um, and I just felt like, I just felt like more myself. Right? I just felt less overwhelmed and more like I'm okay. And I can just do things and it's okay. You know? Yeah. I love, I love that. And I totally can see, I'm on such a small dose, so it's hard for me to, but I can see that. Like mm -hmm. I can see, like I just spend less time. I don't have that running checklist in my head mm -hmm. all the time. And then, and because it is so overwhelming to constantly feel like you've failed at something, no matter what you're doing or what well, you're working on, there's shame something Shame is else what drives is. you to do things. Right. Do you know what I mean? You're like yeah. so yeah. frustrated at yourself that you haven't done it yet. 
Yeah. So that's how you, then you, that's how you do everything. Exactly. Right. And then you move on to the next thing until it builds up until you're like, like, and I literally will look at a list and I'm like, what's the thing that's eating at me on this Mm -hmm. list. And now Mm -hmm. I look at things and I feel more neutral about them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's just a cool experience. And I have to say, and I I do want to dedicate a whole episode because I think, um, having a conversation about putting your kid on meds is like a really good one to have, Mm -hmm. but I have to say, my kid is like more sparkly. Mm-hmm. That's how I feel. That's exactly herself. that's exactly how I feel. And I, I feel like the old me. You're you exactly. Mm-hmm. And I think that when you think about a medication, the biggest worry is always like, I don't want to change who I am. I don't mm-hmm. want to change who my kid is. Mm-hmm. And what the Adderall in your case. If, if your diagnosis is correct and yeah. you need the medication, the medication doesn't do those things. The medication gives you the ability to be yourself again. Yes. At least that has been my personal experience. And that's and what I've seen like with my kid. Yours is she also. even more herself. She mm-hmm. hasn't even like she tells more jokes, more right. do you know what I mean? She's yeah. funnier. The levity. Happier. Yeah. I like, feel more levity. That's that's it. I don't and that's so yeah. And that's the goal. Right. Yeah. I just want to, I just, what, what, it's like, do, do, so other people just feel like this all the time? Is this, is this normal? Other people I don't, just, I think if you feel like feel it like all the this? time, you probably don't appreciate it the same way. So, anyways, if you feel I like guess. that all the time, please appreciate it. Yeah. Take a minute, <laughs> pat yourself on the back for your normal brain chemistry. Good job. <laughs> um, this has been really fun. I'm glad yeah. that we've kind of taken the opportunity to make like a little, podcast journal about this because I'm so curious like to revisit mm-hmm. as we go yeah and yeah I mean inadvertently January is going to be mental health month for us here on the podcast so know, continue right? to follow along on our uh, on our journeys but I, I, you know part of the reason we're talking about this is because we feel like it's important it yeah. is a real part of our lives and I think that it is often something that it's very hard to find a middle ground on because it's not something that's neutral and there's never no. going to be neutral. There's always going to be lots of feelings and happenings and that's yeah. okay. And that's why the conversation is important. Totally. Thanks so much for listening to In The Middle. We really appreciate your support. And if you could do us a big favor and subscribe and share this podcast, it would mean the world to us.